Super Talk Mississippi media production. Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome in on a Wednesday after a kind of bizarre night in midweek college baseball. I'm Michael Borky. He's Richard Cross. Brian Haydad is gambling or something. I don't know what he's doing right now. We actually got him on our call this morning just to see what was up. He's headed to the coast. He's going to have a, a boys weekend. He'll be back with us on Monday. It is great to be with you on this Wednesday. You want to be a part of the show? We'd love to have you. 601-879-4395 is the ceasefire text line. 601-879-4395 is the ceasefire text line. Big show today. Got a lot of baseball to talk about. Like I mentioned, weird night last night. Some upsets. One in particular uh, caused a free fall in the RPI of college baseball's, uh, the, the founder of college baseball, the team that ESPN should send a bouquet of flowers to, according to OutKick. You guys remember that? Yeah, Tennessee lost to Tennessee Tech last night. They're 5-10 and 10 in the SEC. I was reminded uh, after their loss last night that this was a headline on OutKick. Very popular website, by the way, growing a lot of big audience, millions of people. But I was reminded that this was written in OutKick last year. By playing the role of villain, Tennessee has single-handedly raised the profile of a niche sport. All of college baseball and ESPN should send Tony Vitello, Jordan Beck, and the entire Tennessee team a bouquet of flowers to thank them. Now they're 5-10 five and, five and ten in the SEC. Um... Uh, just a, a little side note here, Chad. Chad Withrow is his name, the guy that wrote that last year. A lot of Tennessee headlines that happened last year that are uh, coming back to haunt them. You've got to win something first before you raise the profile of anything. Tiger Woods raised the profile of golf because he was a winner, and he won all the time. Steph Curry and the Warriors raised the profile of the National Basketball Association because they won and no other reason besides being winners. That always cracks me up. Oh, Tennessee's raised the profile of college baseball. Has it? you got to win first. Otherwise, you're just a flash in the pan that everybody's uh, just kind of pointing and laughing at, especially now. But they had they had a loss last night. Ole Miss won. It's Arkansas State. In the notes, I, I said that Arkansas State's kind of stinky. Uh, but it is a win. And something happened last night that is, uh, that is of note in, in terms of Ole Miss 
and their pitching staff, so we'll get to that. We'll talk to Kendall Rogers about that later at 5 o'clock. We don't forget about you, Southern Miss fans. We're going to talk to Kendall about that series. They have regional projections out that has Southern Miss not hosting. In fact, there's a little uh, little spice to their projections, being a two-seed going to Gainesville, facing off against their former pitcher. But Coastal Carolina right now is uh, slated as a host. And so that tells you the stakes on the series this weekend in Conway, one and two in the Sun Belt, and also a chance to, even despite the loss last night to Louisiana Tech, you'd have rather won that game, of course. It's not going to kill you, though, if you're Southern Miss. You can't lose many more midweek games, though, if you're going to have a bid for a host. But this weekend is huge for that. You cannot coastal out. You can make a claim for that. Big weekend upcoming for Southern Miss. We'll talk to Kendall about that. Mississippi State now projected in the field, by the way. So they they went from, you know, who are the candidates to replace Chris Limonis to winning back-to-back series, another winnable series upcoming this weekend, and now they're projected to, albeit sneak in at the moment, uh, make the tournament. Ole Miss uh, not so much there. 6018794395. Mike, we're going to talk about that as well. We had a, a little spice added to the Ole Miss LSU series this weekend. We're going to do a fair or foul as, uh, as well with uh, bulletin board material. Is there such thing when every game matters the way it does? Paul Skeens had, uh, has some thoughts on uh, the Ole Miss student section. He's lucky he's a pitcher and not a right fielder. You feel the effects less when you're on the mound as opposed to you know, just a few feet in front of them. But we'll talk about that as well. I also need to make an amendment on uh, on a take that I had yesterday. So in our one NBA segment of the show, which you guys loved, by the way, because we spent 10 minutes talking about how poorly run the NBA is. So that was that hit the nail on our audience's head right there. The initial thought from one of the marquee reporters of the NBA, Shams, was that Draymond Green was not going to get suspended. They changed their mind, and they suspended him. So I've got to rescind that take. I was harsh on Adam Silver. You're giving him special treatment. Years of being a dirty player, well-documented, dirty player, gets away with whatever he wants, can treat officials differently, and you're not going to suspend him after stomping on a guy's chest and cracking his sternum or whatever? I mean, the guy's injured now because of that stomp. And that was probably the catalyst for the suspension, by the way. We didn't know that he was injured after that. Now we do. Then the suspension comes. So I have to amend that. Kudos to Adam Silver and the NBA for doing the right thing and suspending Draymond Green. I would argue it should be more because of past history. But either way, got to amend that take uh, from yesterday. 6018794395. Jeff says, I've given up on Southern Miss baseball this season. Why? Why on earth would you have given up on Southern Miss baseball this season? With the biggest series, Jeff, of your season this weekend, what is there to give up on? I mean, not only is it because of the midweek loss last night, because you still pitch it well, you still have a bunch of veterans that can win games that are experienced. But you're you're still fighting for the possibility of hosting a regional again. Like that is still well within the grasp of this season. You don't have to stretch at all to get there. You you want to win the series this weekend. 
as we talked about yesterday, you don't necessarily quote-unquote have to, but if you want to host, you, you got to knock Coastal Carolina off. But giving up on this season, Jeff, I think is a little premature. You don't have to do that yet. I think you're crazy. I think you're crazy. Derek, what on earth did you send us on the text line? I have no idea what I'm looking at, but I appreciate you listening none, uh, nonetheless. Um, I don't know, man. You are something else. Um, sorry, Richard Houston is, is texting me right now, and I'm very confused at what he's asking. Uh, so we got a lot coming up. We're going to talk some spring football as well. A handful of Ole Miss players have hit the transfer portal, and they're interesting. One is a high-profile player who, spoiler alert, is supposed to be on an Ole Miss team right now. Not football, but on a different one. And two other defensive players have also hit the transfer portal for Ole Miss. Defensive depth is thin for the Rebels. We'll talk about what they need to do in the portal and if it can be done after three uh, additions to the transfer portal out of Oxford. As we talked about yesterday, not only is it post-spring, who do you need to add or what positions do you need to add, you also might need to make up for, for guys leaving. The, the window's open again. Guys are, are going to see where they stood in spring practice and where they were on the, uh, well, no coaches make depth charts in the spring for this very reason, but you know they're college kids, but they're smart. They understand where they stand. And you've got tampering going on and all that. It's not just... Hey, after the spring, Mississippi State needs this. They need a safety, or they need a running back, or they need offensive line help. They also might need to replace guys that are hitting the portal, and, and a day later we get the same thing from Ole Miss. Well, they need defensive line help. Well, they need a linebacker. They might need to get another running back. Well, it turns out they are desperate for defensive help after what happened today. No, not flying solo today, although that uh, that is a challenge that I... Uh, that I actually enjoy, it's really hard. Now, in fairness to people that do actual hard work, I feel stupid after a flying solo show when I'm tired because there are people that spend all day doing like actual work. I mean, one of my neighbors is getting their house uh, re-roofed, and those, those guys are working. I don't work. Those guys work. Uh, but it, it's tiring and it's fun. But no, we're, we're having some uh, some technical difficulties. We'll get Richard... Uh, as soon as this segment ends, uh, I'm going to do some things, pull some wires. Uh, maybe Rhino's trolling me and unplug something on his way out of here. And uh, we'll get that figured out and get Richard here as, uh, as soon as we can. So live radio, guys. You know we're not recorded. I mean, this is real and this is live because we're just um, we're trying to make it as, as best we can. Hey, look. I like turning Richard and, and Haydad's microphone off, but I did not do that intentionally this time. Joe says, why did it have to be a severe injury talking about Draymond to garner a suspension? Just the act should have been enough. I agree completely. If you listened yesterday, I agree, especially with his track record. But I do think that's the catalyst. Either that or the league used Shams as a trial balloon to see what the reaction would be if they didn't suspend him. It was not pretty. But either way... It happened. It should be longer. He's got a track record of being a dirty player, and one game isn't enough. But that one game is a big one because they're down 2-0, and, uh, you know, good. 
good. It's nice to see somebody not the Warriors win in the league. We'll get Richard back, hopefully. Knock on wood. When we get back at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort Studio. Now, back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Say that again. Please say it. Now, back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Sorry, poorly timed joke, completely inappropriate. On Super Talk Mississippi. Is there anybody in there? Yes. Hey, Michael Borky finally turned on my microphone, and we accomplished something in the first segment of the show. I actually went 10 minutes and 50 seconds without interrupting him. There we go. Hey, accomplishments. Sports Talk Mississippi with you Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week, Pearl River Resort Studios, Pearl River Resort, the home of the sports book at the Golden Moon Casino. Visit them online at PearlRiverResort.com. Find out about everything that is happening at Pearl River Resort. Love to hear from you, as many of you have already jumped in on the ceasefire text line this afternoon at 601-879-4395. Give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet from ceasefire business, backed by world-class IT professionals who live where you do. That's right here in ceasefire country. Good to be with you. Apparently there was a... Um, I don't guess it was a bet, but Brian Haydad made a prediction yesterday on the show that I had no idea that he was going to be off for the rest of the week. And so when I dialed you guys up on our morning production call about 8.30, like we always do, Borky, you, you were late to the party. Haydad answered, and he just giggled. I was like, what's up? He's like, oh, no, it's just kind of funny. I was, I was like, what's funny? He's like, let's just wait till <laughs> Borky gets on. I was like, all right. Hey, so... We waited for a couple of minutes. You popped on the call, and uh, he's like, I told you, Borky, he wasn't going to know. I played along because I didn't know until yesterday when mm. I'm texting him about getting Mark Etheridge on, and he, he was throwing an idea at me about a, a football guest, and I said, ah, let's save it for tomorrow. We've got a lot already for today. And he said, I don't care what you guys do tomorrow. I'm not going to be there. And I said, oh. I didn't tell him, though, but I was like, oh, okay. Well, I... Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, hey, Dad's doing uh, his uh, his coast trip with his buddies. They do that just about every uh, every sp- spring, and uh, he seemed to be plenty excited about that. I, I I don't think he was leaving today, though. Was he? Wasn't it tomorrow when he was headed down? But just kind of taking the three day. Yeah. Whatever. Good for him. Five day weekend for Brian. Hey, Dad, got the time to take off. Uh, enjoy it. We're going to try to enjoy the show with you this uh, this afternoon. Borky kind of laid out a bunch of the things that we're going to uh, get well, to. Everybody knows everything we're getting to today. I, I, let me tell you. So let's start with last night in the SEC or, or in games involving SEC teams plus Southern Miss. Last night was one of those nights where you looked at – remember a couple of weeks ago we looked at the Tuesday schedule and like, man – what a great bunch of games tonight. You might you might see an upset or two. Just a lot of really good games. Last night was a schedule that you looked at and you're like, you know, on paper, there aren't a lot of upsets. But this could be one of those weird nights, and it turned out to be one of those weird nights. Now, 
the Mississippi State game was canceled, which was a little odd in and of itself, right? I mean, they were supposed to be playing Southern University last night, the Jaguars. That one was canceled because Southern had a game over the course of the weekend that had to be postponed and pushed back because of weather, so they weren't able to play it. So you had that, just take it out of the equation. Florida, no trouble with family. It was close for a little while, and, and for a little while, I mean like an inning. And then Jack Caglione hit another home run. He's up to 22, still leading the country. But Florida got it done. No sweat. Ten-run rule. Tennessee Tech beats Tennessee in Knoxville. And Tennessee's RPI took a tumble after that loss to Tennessee. I think Tennessee Tech was like, what was it, Borky, 274 or something like that in the RPI? Yeah, Uh, And that was not kind to the Volunteers. So Tennessee Tech was 274, and Tennessee in one loss dropped from 24 to 38 in the RPI. Mm. Mm. That's from safely into like getting close to bubbly. Yeah, it is. Perhaps the beginning of a really difficult week for the Tennessee Volunteers, who host SEC East leading Vanderbilt this weekend in Knoxville. Vanderbilt... Odd night last night. They hosted Indiana State, and they lost ten to two. They were down ten to one. They got a they got a beauty run late in the ball game. Made the final score look just a touch better. Instead of ten to one, it was ten to two. Kentucky beat Xavier. Kentucky had one player who hit two home runs that were a combined eight hundred seventy one feet, and that's for a team that doesn't hit a bunch of home runs. Georgia, who has at times this year struggled. Went to Clemson and won five to four. Auburn beat Samford. They uh, ended it mercifully in the bottom of the eighth inning with a three-run double into the corner. Thirteen to three was the final. Borky, you remember Greg Olson, former Major League Baseball pitcher? Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the Panthers tight end. No, 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 not yeah, that good. Different name, different spelling. So I worked with last night. It's the first time I'd worked with him. Fun guy. Really. Hey. Interesting insight, too. And you got to go home early. I did. I did. It was still over a three-hour three, uh, three hour ball game, but uh, instead of being like three and a half hours, it was about 3.05. So Aubrey is, well, they actually played pretty well last night. Uh, they have really struggled in terms of throwing strikes, which makes this weekend's matchup interesting. Mississippi State did a much better job last weekend in terms of not walking Ole Miss hitters. What was it, 10 walks over the course of the weekend for uh, for Mississippi State? When you look at the stats in the SEC, Mississippi State and Auburn are 13 and 14 in walks on the year. Wow. Steam pitches it better this weekend. It's probably going to be the difference in who wins that series. Should feel comfortable. I, I know they gave up a bunch of hits. On Friday, I mean, it was 12 hits in a, mm-hmm. in a Friday game, but State should feel better about what they're going to throw out there. Because, uh, look, the Ole Miss lineup has holes, but when they pitched the way they did with a lineup that features Jacob Gonzalez and Kemp Alderman, mm-hmm. you should feel really good ab- about how that performance translates into this weekend, you would think. You know, there's a, there's a little bit of a similarity between Auburn's lineup and the way it's constructed. And Ole Miss's lineup. Auburn's top four hitters are hitting a combined 350. Ooh. Everybody else on the team is hitting a combined 240. 
and they're getting nothing, nothing out of eight and nine in the uh, in the lineup. Um, Missouri got a couple of runs in the bottom of the ninth inning to come from behind and beat Missouri State in Columbia last night. I mean, the tens of fans that were there just absolutely went crazy when Missouri walked it off in the bottom of the ninth. UAB in extra innings in 11 innings beat Alabama 4-3. to three. UAB's been doing the SEC thing in the midweek for the last few weeks. So they had the, um, they had the midweek loss to Mississippi State a couple of weeks ago. They had a walk-off win in Birmingham against Auburn. And last night, an extra innings walk-off win against Alabama 4-3. Told you Indiana State beat Vanderbilt. Ole Miss and Arkansas State. Let's hold that for a second because we need to talk about that one a little bit. Arkansas beat Central Arkansas 6-3. South Carolina beats Charleston Southern 10-4. And Ole Miss's opponent this weekend, LSU, drops a home game to the Ragin' Cajuns 8-5. So, I guess let's start with last night. Ole Miss fell behind 2-0, tied it up a couple of innings later. It was 3-3 for a while. Ole Miss took a 4-3 lead. They opened it up, uh, what, in the top of the ninth inning with uh, with three runs to go up 6-3. Kemp Alderman comes into the game to try to close it out, gets a couple of outs, and then loads the bases, and Ole Miss has to go to Mitch Morrell to get a strikeout to end the ball game. There are a lot of directions you can go here. Ole Miss had six runs on 11 hits with one error. Arkansas State had three runs on 10 hits with no errors in the ball game. The top three in the order last night for Borky. Uh, Borky, Ethan Groff, Jacob Gonzalez, Calvin Harris. Uh, they were a combined 0 for 13. Ooh. Yikes. Ooh. Kemp Alderman had two hits. Anthony Calarco had two hits. Leger had two hits. Swung it well. Good news. Peyton Chatagnier went three for five last night. John Kramer had a couple of hits. But nothing at the top of the order, which is the inverse of what it has been. Ultimately, you got the win, and that's what matters, right? You don't need a loss there. Oh, a loss there would have been brutal. Mm-hmm. I actually thought there was one thing that stood out from that game more than anything else last night. Mike Bianco handed the ball off to Mason Nichols in a tight game and got three innings out of him. Three innings, two hits, one walk, four strikeouts. I know it's Arkansas State. I know it's midweek. But it was almost like Mike Bianco went to Mason Nichols and said, we can't win without you. We still trust you. Go get us some outs. And he did. Do you believe that matters? Do you believe that makes sense? Let's talk about that when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. How do you like that? I love it. On Super Talk Mississippi.
All right, so we're talking about Ole Miss and Arkansas State. We got a message on the ceasefire text line. Uh, it was from Jeff in Oxford. He's like, yeah, Ole Miss, Arkansas State. When a win looks like a loss. I don't know. I mean, is that? I mean, it's not like they played some great game, but they didn't lose. And Ole Miss has lost that game before. Period. Like, they've just lost that game. That's when a loss looks like a loss. Mike in Oxford says, funny story about last night, top of the first... The sprinklers down the first baseline pop up and they start sprinkling. There's a lot of laughter. Well, I was sitting right next to the dugout and I yell, call Lane Burroughs and see if we should tarp the field. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, I, somebody got me on Twitter last night. I just saw this floating around out there. There was a graphic that they had taken with Lane Burroughs' picture on it with uh, Louisiana Tech and Southern Miss playing last night. and It said it was like Ole Miss Appreciation Night. Anybody with a Ticket stub from the Ole Miss-Louisiana Tech game in Oxford, the Ole Miss-Southern Miss game in Pearl. Could use it to get in free last night in yeah. Ruston. That, that I think that was a fake. It, it oh, he was. thought it was real? Did he yeah. retweet it? No. No, he. Okay. but it... And because of he where it came from... He wanted it to be real. Right. He wanted it to be real, but then he realized where it came from and then didn't want to give that individual more attention than he already gets. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. But, yeah. No, I mean... You know, it it's went over Arkansas State. I was talking to a friend about this, which, by the way, somebody asked me via email, why do you reference conversations you have with friends so much? Because I think that's what you guys are, are talking about. My friends I use as a gauge of what is interesting to you because I can't talk to you guys with feedback. I Anyway, he was like, oh, it's just a win over Arkansas State. And I was like, you're right. However... This team just needed to win something. Mm-hmm. They just need to win. And, and the confidence with Nichols, again, Arkansas State's stinky, but they, they need him. He's capable. I, I think everybody saw it in the College World Series that led to a championship that he can pitch well in relief in big spots against good teams with good lineups. For whatever reason, it's him being the last guy has been an issue. But they need him. They're not... And he wasn't a, the last guy last year. No, Mm-mm. he was a setup man. Yeah, and so, no, there was that, that the Oklahoma game in particular. I mean, you're talking about the highest of high leverage situations. They didn't ask him to get the last three outs. No, that was Brandon Johnson's job. And they they actually didn't, if I remember correctly, ask him to get outs number 20, 24, 23, and twenty two. Like that was kind of that was kind of Josh Mallett's role. And yeah. then Brandon Johnson, you go get the last three. We feel real good about these two guys getting the last six to nine outs. But it's like outs eighteen through twenty one. That was a really good spot for Mason Nichols. Hunter in Columbus says Ole Miss season is done, guys. Uh, yeah. it, it it may be, Hunter, but and and yeah, maybe you want it to be, maybe you don't want it to be, but do you really just throw do you throw cold water on them and like stop talking about them and ignore them when there're 15 conference games left? Speaking let, let, of that conversation with a friend, he asked he's like, "When do you guys shut it down and and not talk about old Miss anymore?" And I said, "Uh, lessons learned from last year, bud." 
<laughs> there, there are scars from the conversations had from a year ago about counting teams out uh, until they're basically mathematically eliminated. I will forever go, well, <laughs> there, there's a chance. Because last year it felt like that exact thing. Ah, oh, see, they're dead. They're, they're just dead. Well, and, and, and here's the problem with the season is done. We can all agree like with with no dissent whatsoever that Ole Miss has been bad in SEC play. They're 3 and 12. And I think most of us can agree. And we'll talk about this with Kendall Rogers later. We talked with Mark uh, Mark Etheridge about it yesterday that for Ole Miss to go from 3 and 12 to in the NCAA tournament in a regional, they've got to go 10 and 5 in their last 15 conference games. And that is a daunting task for a team that has lost nine of its first 12 SEC games. No. Three and 12. 12 of its first 15 SEC games. That's a daunting task. But Ole Miss going 10 and 5 against the combination of LSU, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, and Missouri, LSU, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, Missouri. It's not like that's some impossible algorithm to figure out. I mean, ten and five as you win all five series. Are they likely to do that? No. No, they're not. They really need to not get swept this weekend. I mean, you, you get a series win and like, okay, now you, okay, everybody kind of perks up a little bit, but don't get swept by LSU this weekend. There's one of those 10. And then you got to have a sweep somewhere. You got to sweep Alabama or Auburn or Georgia or Missouri. And you got to win the other three series. Yeah. That's your. That's your roadmap to 10. Is it hard? Yes, absolutely it's hard. Really, really hard, especially with what this team has been. Haven't won a series yet. I mean, it's... Haven't won a series yet. True or false, Ole Miss will play on Tuesday in the SEC tournament. True. They'll make it. I think so. But now, it's going to be the, the, the question is, are they going to be 9-21 and 21 in the 12 seed? Or are they going to get hot? Hot-ish. Tim and Ridgeland, top 30 RPI when Hoover is over. Game-to-game football mentality never works. Ole Miss baseball was buried by listeners to this show last April and May. Rebs might be a different team with Elliott and Riley Maddox. There is a path to 13-17 and 17 and a top 30 RPI when Hoover's over. You're right, there's a path. There, there is a path. And we talked about when they left Fayetteville last year. Is there a path? Yeah. But it's narrow. And we it's, weren't talking, by the way, about a path to a national championship either. No. It's getting to a regional. Talking about a path to a regional. And it's narrow now. I, I'm, they've got to do a lot of things better. I mean, that, that was another standout thing in the state series as Etheridge put it yesterday and as we've talked about this week it's you know they both could have swept each other this past weekend I mean the games were ripe for the taking Friday was ripe for the taking for Mississippi State 
Ole Miss won it. Saturday was obviously right for the taking for Ole Miss. Mississippi State won it. It, it, The the things that they do poorly, though, are are so consistent, I I just can't help but wonder if that's who they are. Like, Hunter Elliott returning, does it fix the bottom of the lineup? You know? Obviously not. I mean, it doesn't. Until you can start getting some level of production from the bottom three guys in your lineup, who are you sweeping? Which, compared to what they had been, they got a little bit of production last weekend. From I mean, a little bit. McCants was better. He was better, and especially Bunning stayed out of that shift. What do you have? Three or four hits on the weekend. Three hits on the weekend. And Shotenye had two or three hits on the weekend. Something like that. But that there's so much wrong. I can't help but wonder. I mean, so many things have to get better for for them to actually sweep anybody, even Georgia and Missouri. They're capable, and that that's the thing. That's what State has seemed to have figured out. Remember the the first few weeks of the season. It's they do things poorly that high school teams don't do poorly, mm-hmm. and now they don't do those things as poorly anymore. They're also a lineup change has helped in that regard. Um, Chris Lamonis, I think maybe he's going to stick with that because you can't afford to have your middle infield committing errors with that consistency. Maybe he sticks with that. I don't know, but. Almost does things poorly that teams shouldn't do poorly. And luckily, you think that they're good enough to not make costly errors in the field, for example. Or walk too many guys. But they do that. And until they don't... Yeah. Almost has been better defensively over the last couple of weeks. I get the number one fielding percentage in the entire SEC. Which is kind of crazy to think. Now in league play, it's top third or middle of the pack, something like that. But overall, for the year, it's number one fielding percentage in the conference. Um, starting pitching was a little bit better. It's maybe a lot better, kind of across the board last weekend. Look at Paul Skeens on Friday night from LSU, who struck out 104 this season. 104. He is averaging 17.6 strikeouts per nine innings, which Borky is on pace to be a full strikeout better than the current best in the history of college baseball. Think about that. Jeez. In the history of the game, Steven Strasburg averaged, what was it, 16.1 per nine innings? I remember him. Yes, he was really good at San Diego State in 2009. And then he was drafted in 2009, and he made his major league debut in 2010. That's how good Steven Strasburg was. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. We'll be right back. 7.3. Okay! Let's go. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. Don't hurt yourself! Sports Talk Mississippi. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. You can be part of the conversation on the C Spire text line at 
4395. Chris Doring is going to join us at 420. We'll talk some SEC spring football with him. He was uh, on the call with me for the Ole Miss spring game, so we'll focus on that, but also get some thoughts on some of the other things that uh, he has seen in the um, uh, in the spring season. He, let's see, he did the, the Auburn spring game, he did the Florida spring game, and Ole Miss. So he's seen quite a few of those um, across the league. Also, Cole Kublik is uh, scheduled to join us on Friday. Hopefully it's going to work out. He had a bunch going on this week, and uh, he's going to try and join us on the show on Friday afternoon, so we'll look forward to talking with Cole, who has... Um, I, I don't know if there's anybody that spends more time on spring game tape than uh, Nicole Kubik. Lee Sterling, I think he's a big... I, I watch and go to spring games and try to kind of start to lay the groundwork for his work in the fall. Yeah. What would it take to make you watch all 14 spring games? Just time. Yeah, a lot of boredom. I, I mean, I really don't think you'd get me to do four quarters in Missouri. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know why Missouri is, is my vote over Vanderbilt, but I couldn't do four quarters in Missouri. I watched a little bit of Vanderbilt's, a good bit of Florida's, both Ole Miss and States, obviously. I'll get around to A&M and Alabama. I mean, Alabama's this weekend. Alabama and LSU are the last two this weekend. Watched some of Auburn's. Weather was horrible, so no way to know. Yeah. And it's not like you get anything in spring games anyway, but... When the weather's bad, you're really not going to get anything in spring games. No. They started late, shortened the game. It was a mess at uh, at Auburn two weeks ago. Uh, so, there are a bunch of storylines coming out of spring, though. There are. I, I, mean, I feel like last year we, we talked about, like, man, there's some interesting stuff beyond just well, Georgia won another national championship. And then the season was, was pretty fascinating as it unfolded throughout the course of the year a season ago. Yeah, the end of the season is blinding people to how great the season was. It felt in doubt for 13 weeks, which is all we want, right? For, for 13 when, when weeks. When you say the end of the season, are you talking about just the championship just game? Just the championship. Like the very is, end. It is blinding people to the fact that the season was awesome all the way up until that championship game. Because we didn't have... People are lying to themselves when they said, oh, it was inevitable Georgia was going to win. There's no way you felt that way, truthfully. There's no way. They played a lot of close games. They had to... I mean, Ohio State had a kick to beat them with three offensive starters out of the game. Ohio State had a kick to win without three starters on offense. If you thought that that was the inevitable ending, you're lying to... you, You have the benefit of hindsight. Georgia looked vulnerable a lot last season. They just ended up still being the best team in the country, but they didn't look dominant like that. Georgia looked like the dominant best team in the country four times last year. Right? Tennessee. Oregon in the opener. Tennessee, Alabama in the SEC title game, and TCU in the championship game. No, I'm sorry, LSU in the title game. Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, they gave up 500 yards passing. But they scored at will on LSU in that game. And then, yeah. obviously, TCU. That's it, though. I mean, there was a, you know, Alabama was struggling a little bit, but they were still winning. I mean, Ohio State was good. Michigan was good. TCU was. We had that college football season that we had been looking for, and both playoff games were awesome. It's just the championship that's like, ah. 
College football again. Mm-mm. Are we holding Georgia to an unfair standard, though? Because don't most championship teams have moments where they're like, I don't know, and then you're like, wow, that team. I mean, e- even LSU, the most dominant team in college football, was kind of on the ropes in Austin in like week three. They were, but they were large. I mean, they were totally dominant, though. I mean, like their worst game was against Ole Miss, and they won by four touchdowns. You know, I mean, yeah. uh, no, I, I don't think it's unfair. I, I think it's more uh, fair, unfair. Maybe not the right word I'm looking for. All championship teams you hope look like Georgia did this season. You, you want the the best team to at least feel beatable. You know. If they don't, it feels like the season's a waste, and we've had that in years past. It's just like a coronation, and you're building to the ultimate. Yeah. They get the ring, and they get to walk off with the trophy at the end under the under the confetti. No, yeah. but I, I would generally say that like the best championship teams, they peak four or five times in a year, maybe half a dozen. But expecting. To have like some elite standard where every single time they step on the field, they just dominate from the opening kick until the final horn. I mean, I, I think that's an unrealistic standard for just about any team to reach. Yeah. Four o'clock hour coming up with you. Sports Talk Mississippi Pearl River Resort Studio on this Wednesday. Sports Talk Mississippi, on your radio and in the game. Sports Talk Mississippi. Hey, hey, Mom, said the way you move will make you sweat, will make you groove. Welcome back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Four o'clock hour on this Wednesday, middle of the week. Glad to have you along for the ride. If you want to be a part of the conversation, we'd love for you to join us on the C Spire text line at 601-879-4395. Give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet from C Spire Business. It's backed by world-class IT professionals who live where you do. That's right here in C Spire country. Check them out online at cspire.com slash business. We are coming to you from the Pearl River Resort Studios, Pearl River Resort, home of the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club. Visit them online at dancingrabbitgolf.com. Dancing Rabbit, two 18-hole championship courses, the Azaleas and the Oaks, available to you. Book your tee time online at dancingrabbitgolf.com. The Gallows Show with guest host Lucian Smith will be at the Mississippi Economic Council's annual meeting tomorrow. That's at the Jackson Convention Complex. Mississippi's economic future takes shape each year at the MEC annual meeting. You can register by going to mec.ms. Also, Jones County is one of Mississippi's leaders in economic development in middays with Gerard Gibbert. And the Super Talk Eagle Hour will be live in Ellisville, uh, Ellisville tomorrow to celebrate the great economic development success at Jones County. Plus, they'll tell stories of some of Mississippi's greatest family-owned businesses. And one more, Gerard on a roll this week. On Friday, you can join Gerard with Middays in Pike County. They get ready for the 12th annual Smoking on the Tracks Barbecue Cook-Off in Summit. Great food, live music, car show, and more. Smoking on the Tracks, brought to you by Lot Furniture in Macomb, Ag Up, 
and Southwest Distributors. So be sure to uh, check out all of that stuff coming up. Busy rest of the week here at Super Talk Mississippi. We need to go back to uh, regional projections. We'll do that with Kendall Rogers coming up a little bit later. Chris Doring going to uh, join us in about 15 minutes. But Borky, transfer news and an early edition today of the college football fix. Oh, I'm not ready. The college football fix is driven by Ford and your local there Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. So you have the announcement of three players going into the transfer portal today for Ole Miss. This does not mean necessarily that they are gone. It means that they have put their name in and they are considering leaving. Sometimes... That is a bargaining chip. Sometimes it is actually a genuine desire to go somewhere else. We will see how these things play out. There are two names that you're like, oh. Eh. And then there's one name where you go, hmm. Elijah Sabatini, Marcavius Brown, Ty Malone. Taiwan Malone is obviously the one that has garnered the most attention He was a top 100 recruit in the 2021 class. He has been a two-sport guy. He is loved by his teammates. Just seemingly a really good dude. But he hasn't done anything on the field in either sport. A big part of the reason Taiwan Malone came to Ole Miss was because they guaranteed he could play both. Baseball was instrumental in the football recruiting of time alone. Period. And both Ole Miss baseball and Ole Miss football have upheld that end of the bargain. They're, they're ends of the bargain. They have allowed him to do both. Taiwan Malone has not had a significant number of at-bats in baseball in two years, despite having some impressive home runs. But he, you know he's got a handful of at-bats this year, and he's got, what, one home run and a handful of strikeouts. He played some on the defensive line a year ago. Borky, this is, I don't think it's cold to say this. I don't. I think if a kid is talented enough, a young man is talented enough to have the opportunity to play two sports in an SEC school and wants to pursue that dream, go for it. But you have to be the most unique of unique to just be adequate at both sports. And you have to be a flat-out unicorn to excel in two sports in today's college athletics environment. We're not talking about Don Kessinger, two-sport All-American in basketball and baseball. We're not talking about Jake Gibbs lettering in two or three sports at the college level. We're talking about today... Yeah, defensive linemen and playing in the SEC, and, and that's part of it too, right? It's it's not like a pitcher playing quarterback. You know, I mean, there there's not as difficult of a transition. Jameis Winston played; he pitched at Florida State. I mean, you're still throwing a ball, right? It's different, but it's not 
that much of a deviation. Uh, when you're not, when you're on the football field uh, with, with Malone, it's it's hitting, it's playing first base, and if you spend the entire fall not hitting and playing first base when other guys are at an SEC program, it, it's hard to to see the field. I, I I've got two questions. One is. What is he looking for? Is he looking to continue to play both? Just somewhere that you would have the chance? Because it wasn't going to happen at Ole Miss in terms of actually getting real playing time. Really playing, doing both. So is that the desire? And, and, and Hey, I, I do think we need to add this too, right? I mean, sometimes when you have guys that do this, John Rice Plumlee is an example. Now, I want to go back to John Rice Plumlee because a couple of you have brought his name up, and, and I think... You're kind of making my point. John Rice Plumley ran himself ragged, and still is, going back and forth between the two schools to basically miss no, the the two sports to basically miss no practice. John Rice Plumley is expected to be the starting quarterback for UCF and has been pretty close to a full participant in UCF spring football while starting in the outfield for the baseball team and being at basically every practice. Time alone hasn't done that. Time alone is not playing in baseball, at least not much, and he participated in one practice in spring football. One. My guess is that if Ty Malone had wanted to be a full participant in spring football practice and be there for what he could be for baseball, my guess is that the baseball coaches would have signed off on that. As it was, because they want to keep him on the roster, the football coaches who agreed to let him play baseball didn't exactly push back a whole lot on, yeah, he's sticking with baseball. Even though he's got a dozen at-bats on the season. I hadn't even pulled up a stat sheet to see exactly how many at-bats he's got. It's not many. And so your question is a really valid one. What's he want? I asked Pete Golding about him last Friday, and he was like, really excited about coaching him in terms of potential and talent. He might be at the top of the list. Hadn't seen him. That's a problem. Yeah, especially on a thin defensive line. And then the next question I have is, well, what does Ole Miss do? Uh, because even though he wasn't going to start, he was going to play, or at least they, they needed him to be able to play. When, when you look at the defensive lineman room right now at Ole Miss, it is light. And I don't mean size. They've got they've got physical size. It's the the numbers of individuals. Him leaving adds another, and the other two guys as well. Now I don't think Sabatini was really going to play much, but Brown played some. And no, it's not a big loss when it's not a starter. But if it's somebody that was was going to play at least to some degree, that is a loss that you have to replace. Can they or will they be able to adequately fill up a two deep on uh, two deep on defense, knowing how many guys that they're going to have to add on a two deep on defense currently in the transfer portal? You know, doubting Lane Kiffin's ability to add players via transfer portal is silly considering the track record. But here they are again, 
needing defensive line, linebacker, and secondary help out of the portal. Yeah. And it is April 19th. Yeah, the portal's been open, what, two days, three days, something like that? Something like that. And it'll be open for a couple of weeks. I mean, you got to do work in a hurry. And again, it's guys have to be entered into the transfer portal by the date it closes. They don't have to make a decision by the date the uh, the portal closes. Um, the John Rice Plumley thing, I, I wanted to. I thought that was a great example. He worked really, really hard at doing both. But my point was, you have to be really good, exceptional, to be adequate at both sports. That's what he was at Ole Miss. Talented, gifted. Just an average quarterback and just an average baseball player. That's what John Rice Plumley was. He's gone to UCF and he's been a slightly above average baseball player and a slightly above average quarterback. And it's a cool story. That's a place where you can accomplish it. We'll be back hard in the SEC. I can't believe what I'm hearing. This is Sports Talk Mississippi right here. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Coming to you, as always, from the Pearl River Resort Studio. You want to be a part of the conversation, you can join us on the Ceasefire text line. The number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Richard Cross, Michael Borky with you today. Brian Haydad is uh, is out for the uh, next few days. He is uh, taking the rest of the week off, getting uh, some deserved time off. And uh, for now, we will uh, chat with Chris Doring. He joins us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com. And go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. You know, Chris is a former Florida Gator and NFL wide receiver and uh, a guy you see in studio all the time on the SEC Network during football season. CD, had fun working with you this past weekend. What's up, my man? Hey, I tell you what, man, it was a lot of fun being there with the, the mayor of Oxford. And hmm. uh, it, it uh, you know, we, you and I have had a chance to be on each other's shows a lot over the years, but uh, to hang there with you, to be able to cover a, a team that I have a lot of respect for in, in a place that uh, is one of my favorite places to visit in the country, man. It was a great weekend. Chris, what did you take away from the from the Ole Miss spring game? Because when you go into these games, I think we talked about this on Saturday, you got different coaches, different programs who are looking for different results or outcomes or trying to see different things. And so sometimes it's hard to like really pull, okay, I, I can take this away as something real. When you sort through it all, what was that for Ole Miss? Well, I think the first thing was that, you know, the quarterback room is as advertised. And, you know, I know a lot of the, the folks within the program, specifically those three quarterbacks that are in the battle for the starting job, have all said that it's the, the most talented room in the, in the country, most talented quarterback room in the country. I would agree with that. And I was, I was surprised by a couple things. One, after hearing how far Jackson Dart had come from where he was last year to where he is this year, both in terms of understanding the offense and executing the offense and becoming a leader. Uh, that was apparent to me. I did not think that was necessarily going to be the case when I started you know, looking at this game uh, leading up to, to, to Saturday. Um, and then Spencer Sanders, a guy that you know, when, when you and I spoke to the coaches, had largely not participated much in the first 14 practices. For him to be not only – 
as, as effective, but just utilized as much as he was coming off that, that shoulder injury that had limited him for much of the spring was surprising to me. And I think, you know, watching Walker Howard do what he, he was able to do with, with uh, such a, a limited amount of reps at the college level, limited amount of reps in this offense, really spoke to me about how good this group is. I don't know how long they'll be able to hold on to all three of them, but I think that was my biggest hmm. takeaway was just how good that, that quarterback room is in a conference and in the country where there is a dearth of real quarterback talent, for them to have three guys that that, that good uh, is, is saying something about Lane Kiffin and that coaching staff to be able to to attract that type type of talent to the roster. So I think you and I both look at the quarterback situation. You're like, it, it doesn't make sense for all three of these guys to be here. I mean, it appears as if Jackson Dart is the starter. It appears as if Walker Howard was kind of led to believe that he was going to be the backup. And so it's like, what do you do with Spencer Sanders? But Sanders can't transfer within the SEC. So, I mean, the person that would be like, oh, he should go to Florida because Florida needs a quarterback. I'm not picking on your Gators. He, he can't do that without sitting out. And he's already used the free transfer. So where does he go? Yeah. You know, one, maybe there's a way to utilize both of them. I I don't know what that conversation is like. I do know that there's a unique skill set that Spencer Sanders has that that can certainly be an asset to what uh, Lane Kiffin and Charlie Weiss Jr. are trying to do offensively. Um, I would imagine, that's what I think was so weird about the the decision that he made to go to Oxford, was that we we, we figured this guy started for parts of four years at Oklahoma State, has one year of eligibility remaining. He's got to go somewhere where he's virtually guaranteed the starting job. But that 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 clearly hasn't been the, the, the case or the directive from the top down. Um, so I, I don't know if you can keep him. I, I guess maybe the, the fact that he came from outside of the SEC indicates that maybe he's not completely tied to the conference if it doesn't work out here. But um, you know, I would love to find a way to be able to, to utilize – both of those guys were in, in parts all three of those those guys the old uh saying you know if you don't have uh if you got two quarterbacks you don't have one quarterback well i don't think that is is uh, applicable in today's college football with as much as as the quarterback is asked to run and and do things that uh weren't being done you know 15 20 years ago i think there is a a, a place for being able to use two different guys that have complementary skill sets and, and doesn't your college career kind of point to that not necessarily always being the case? I mean, there was there was a time there where uh, where the head ball coach was shuffling Terry Dean and Danny Werfel, and both guys were pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that that was definitely my experience at Florida up until you know, probably my my senior year when Danny took the job and ran with it for yeah. for my my senior year and his his senior year the next year where he won the Heisman. Uh, even after that, remember. Jesse Palmer, uh, Doug Johnson, Noel Brindice, those guys, you know, all spent some time rotating through there as well. So, um, Coach Burrier always talked about the quarterback position, uh, being just like every other spot where if, you know, you're, you're not performing up to what the expectation level is, or, then you, you, you use the next guy and give him a chance. And I think, I think whoever wins that job is going to be able to run this offense really well, but I still think that there's a piece that one or the other can bring to help you know, make the make the offense even more dynamic. So you saw three spring games in, I guess, eight days. So so let's go re- reverse order. Let's re- let's rewind. Thursday night before you did the Ole Miss spring game, you had the Florida spring game. Lane Kiffin had some fun with that on uh, uh, on Twitter. What's Florida going to do at quarterback? 
I honestly believe, just like after being around the coaches in Oxford, that there is an idea of who the quarterback's going to be. I think, I think Jackson Dart's going to be the starter, at least in the beginning. And I think in, in games, so it's going to be Graham Mertz. And listening okay. to the way the coaches talk about Graham Mertz, his experience as a starter in college football, having 32 starts under his belt, uh, the football IQ that he has, the leadership, the commitment uh, to, to getting up to speed. Um, I, I really believe that it's, it's going to be Graham Mertz. Now, um, the setup of the game on Thursday night was not conducive to offensive success or quarterback <laughs> success specifically. A lot of blitzing from Austin Armstrong's uh, defenses, and, and uh, Florida had a hard time picking those things up. Uh, thus the 10-7 final score. But, um, you know, I, I do think that as of right now, now it, it, this has not come out publicly yet, but there will be a quarterback addition coming up uh, to Florida's roster. So I don't know how that plays into the competition. But if I had to place a wager on who I think is going to be the starting quarterback when Florida heads to Salt Lake City for their opener against Utah, I would say Graham Mertz. I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, and I don't know. I know they're kind of reformulating the collective at, at Florida. Uh, we talked with Andy Staples some about that uh, last week. Did, did they throw everything they've got at Malik Murphy at Texas and say, hey, Quinn, yours is going to be the starter, and you're not getting past Arch Manning? Come start at Florida. Uh, I, I I don't know uh, any of the detail. Well, I, I know some details, and I, I, I don't necessarily um have the ability to, to to comment necessarily. I mean, I think is that think a guy that would do, make sense at Florida? How about that? I mean, I I think potentially. I I, I will say this though: the quarterbacks that I talked to, uh, or excuse me, the coaches that I talked to as it related to the quarterbacks, they all felt like of all the guys that were in the in the portal, that Graham Mertz was the best available okay. in terms of their evaluation, uh, in terms of the potential fit. Um, so I, I don't, I don't, I probably doubt that they would go out and get him, but I, I do think there's something to be said. I think you're, you're, you're going to ask me next about Auburn and Hugh Freeze. Every coach that we talked to this past <laughs> eight days, whether it was yeah. you and I and, and talking with Lane or Billy Napier or, or Hugh Freeze, all are planning to be active in the transfer portal. All are planning to out recruit whatever they have on the roster right now. And I think that's the dynamic of college football is it, it's, it's, what what can I do to upgrade? You know, it's the it's the uh, it's the, the 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 pasture being greener on the other side of the fence in a lot of cases. And I think, you know, as 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 weird as that is for us to think about, I also think it creates a sense of urgency that hasn't been there for existing players, knowing that there is the ability to go out and and and, and make you replaceable. Hey, we've only got a minute left. We've got hard time breaks. Can't get around those. But I, yeah. I'm curious about your thoughts on Auburn with what you saw, your conversations with Hugh Freeze, and what you saw on the field. I know it was weird because of weather and a kind of a yeah. shortened practice time, but is there reason to be hopeful about Auburn this year? I don't think they're going to be very good this year. I do think they are going to be extremely dangerous in the next two to three years. I, I, the talent is not where Hugh Freeze uh, needs it to be. He, he, he made kind of a, a tail of the tape comparison between what he inherited in Oxford when he was the head coach there in year number one and where he's at now in Auburn. Uh, I don't think it's it's nearly as good as what it was there in Ole Miss, but oh, wow. um, I think he's surprised by that a little bit. But I do think he'll, he's going to make that thing competitive in the West coming up here in the next two to three years. Chris, great insight. Enjoyed it this past weekend, and uh, look forward to staying in touch. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, man. Talk to you soon, Richard. See you, bud. Chris Doran, college football analyst with the SEC Network in studio, doing some spring games as well, joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line.
Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. He piqued my interest. Who's the quarterback that Florida's getting in the transfer portal? Guess we'll I, find out soon. I think I think we know. You think we know? I, I think you asked him about him. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Yeah! On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Sparts Talk Mississippi. What did I say? Did I say Sparts Talk. Sparts Talk Mississippi. I was multitasking. We're talking about the Michigan State Spartans. Probably not going to be that great this year. Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Good conversation with uh, with Chris Dory. He's a fun dude. As always. Yeah. Um. That, that poor guy, <laughs> you were pressing him, and he would not give in at all. Well, but. And, and I mean, clearly, he's got some pretty strong ties to the University of Florida. Yeah. He lives in Gainesville. He hosts an SEC network radio show. He's one of their all-time great receivers. He's connected to that coaching staff. So he's got to be careful. I mean, he probably knows more than he's able to say. But I, I couldn't decide if he was like, saying something without saying anything as it pertains to Malik Murphy at Texas, or if there was somebody else that he thinks that they are going to go get. Kind of felt like it was Texas. When he asked him specifically about him, I don't know, I'm reading too much into it. It doesn't matter. They need one is uh, is the point. Uh, they need one. Yeah. Because I know they blitzed and stuff in the spring game, and, and people don't do that, but but they did. But it was horrible, and I'm still baffled. I mean, Billy Napier is a brilliant coach. I, I've seen people say things like, Florida should have known this wasn't going to work. It's like, what are you talking about? A former Saban and Dabo assistant who won, what, double-digit games four consecutive years as a head coach? You knew that wasn't going to work? Spare me. No, you didn't. However, how did he not expect the quarterback situation to go the way it did? You bring a guy from Wisconsin who stunk at Wisconsin into the SEC and expect him to be good suddenly? I, I don't understand it. And maybe that was their only option, and it was like, this is the only guy we can sign, so we got to sign somebody, and therefore, come on down, Graham Mertz. But it, it feels like... Is it one of those deals that people fell in love with Graham Mertz in the recruiting process? And he was highly decorated... And he was, what, the first ever five-star quarterback that Wisconsin had gotten. And folks have, ne- despite what we've seen on the field, there have been just enough flashes that people have remained enamored with him because he at one point had five stars next to his name? It's the same phenomenon with first-round picks. If you're a first-round pick and you bust, people are still going to give you chances. 
that phenomenon happens in the NFL as well. A first-round pick that is equally productive as a fifth-round pick will get more opportunities because they have that one next to their name. It's just kind of the deal. Same thing with recruiting. Five-star recruits get the benefit of the doubt. They just do. Even when they, they stink, they still get the benefit of the doubt after stinking. I mean, Shea Patterson at Michigan, for example. After you saw Shea Patterson play college games and he transfers to Michigan, all the talking heads said championship or bust with Shea Patterson. And I remember on this very show saying, hey, hold on, that's not fair. He's not that good. Like that That's putting expectations on him to do something at Michigan that they don't do at Michigan, and his college production tells you he can't do it. But they saw five-star quarterback, and therefore he's bringing a championship to Michigan, and guess what happened? I mean, Borky, I remember in like the summer of 2019 before Graham Mertz freshman year, there was some there was some his name came up on this radio show and our buddy Will Colmeyer in Tupelo, who is a lifelong Wisconsin fan, either sent us a text on the ceasefire text line or sent me a text and it was how excited they were and most highly rated recruit that you know at quarterback that Wisconsin had ever I mean everybody was fired up about him. And it just didn't work out. He was, he was okay. It, it, it certainly like wasn't terrible, but you, I mean, I'm rounding, but it was like 40 touchdowns and 30 interceptions in three years as a starter. You're not beating Georgia with him, and that's how Florida is measured. Yeah, he's not beating Georgia in Jacksonville. He's not beating Tennessee in Knoxville or at home for that matter. Yeah, Hunter in Columbus says. Michigan State is a portal team, too, aren't they? Yeah, they, they've seen the good and the bad of it, right? Two years ago, they hit gold in the portal. Last year, it kind of came back to earth a little bit. Yeah. It's the, the depth is the thing with Ole Miss. Offensively, they got depth. It's, it's just the other side, as is tradition. Uh, I'm fascinated to see how they handle this. And, you know, let, let's be honest about it. You've got three quarterbacks on payroll right now. Yes. One, one Jackson if, Dart has an NIL deal. Uh, Walker Howard has an NIL deal. Spencer Sanders has an NIL deal. Uh, share the message that your buddy sent earlier. Yeah, it, it would be nice to have that extra money that you're paying Spencer Sanders to go get a defensive lineman. Yeah. And it's a... I have not talked to anybody, Borky. I I, I wonder if the Taiwan Malone thing is he is truly moving on or he is understanding that he's going to have to focus on football because that's a better path, and so he's trying to get an NIL bump to stay. Hmm. I I don't know. Like That's just thinking out loud. I have zero inside information as it pertains to that. But but that there there is some validity to that. Now I understand you bring Sanders in, Dark got better, whatever. But you do have three quarterbacks that have some level of a sizable NIL deal. And if those three quarterbacks remain on your roster, that seems like a, a misallocation of resources when you begin the season, knowing that you need defensive help more than you need a third quarterback. But you had to have three scholarship quarterbacks. You, you only had you, one. You you did. 
the, the question that Hannon always asks and is, you can't is that get quarter, one. You can't get quarterbacks out of the portal without paying for them. It's fascinating stuff. It is. Uh, but if that... Not can... quarterbacks that you believe in. I mean, Chris Dorian said a second ago, there are people that believe that Ole Miss has the most, most talented, cumulatively, quarterback room in college football right now. They might. I mean, you got five years of starts in that room. Five and a half, really. Years worth of starting experience in that room right now. Yeah. And then back to the original point, a former five-star. Who, who Hunter and Columbus, like it, but. Yeah, Hunter and Columbus says maybe they should worry about other positions than quarterback. Kiffin's going to make sure the offense is good, but without a defense, it doesn't matter. Lane Kiffin said to me last Friday, he's like, you know, now that we've gotten the offense kind of settled and we feel pretty good about that, we'll turn our focus to the defense and the transfer portal and these next few weeks. That's where they're headed. See, and this is kind of what my guy was getting at, this message. You didn't have to bring in a four-year starter from the Big 12 who demands a real NIL deal when you need defensive line help desperately. They didn't really hamstring themselves on the Spencer Sanders deal the way it's set up. If he leaves, it's not going to hurt them. Right. And and but But what if he doesn't? Well, then you've got a quality piece in your quarterback room. You got three. It's interesting. I mean, and you know, it sounds like criticism. It's more of just interesting because clearly the addition of Spencer Sanders raised the profile of that room, uh, raised the floor of the ability of that room. By all accounts, Dart took that and used it and got better. So you are either A, Upgrading at the position, the most important position on the field, or B, your incumbent starter got better. Very important thing that has to happen there for them for them to win games. So it's not it's not a criticism. It's just you've got these resources and there is a ceiling to them. And now you have to go, and let's be honest about it, you gotta go buy a defensive tackle. You gotta go get one. You they have to have one. You gotta get one. I need you to explain something to me. We get a message on the ceasefire text line. Should have brought in a guy like the kid from Oxford who played at 20 different schools. You're talking about Jack Abraham. Jack Abraham was a phenomenal high school quarterback at Oxford. My alma mater. Fun to watch him play. Proud of him. Great kid. Great family. I don't understand the infatuation with go bring in Jack Abraham. Jack was a good quarterback at Southern Miss who had some injury issues that kind of slowed things down. He transferred to Mississippi State, dealt with some injury stuff off the field that never really gave him a chance, but he was never going to see the field at Mississippi State. He was never going to see the field at Missouri. Jack was a good quarterback at Southern Miss. We're we're talking about quarterbacks. We're, we're, We're talking about a former five-star at LSU, a former starter at Southern Cal who's the returning starter at Ole Miss, and the number two all-time passer at Oklahoma State. This guy says, I'm not saying bring in... Well, I mean, he doesn't have any eligibility. I mean, Jack Abraham's not an option, but that type of guy... You're trying that's to not the Alabama. type of guy you bring in if you want to win SEC football games. And that's not a shot at Jack Abraham. Again, great kid, great family, good college quarterback. That's not how you win games in the SEC. Lane Kiffin was trying to build a quarterback room 
where he had quarterbacks that could win games against good teams in the SEC, period. I listen to it at work. At work. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. On Super Talk Mississippi. Did you get that memo? Yes, sir. Welcome back. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Thanks for being with us. You uh, you want to be a part of the conversation, you can join us on the ceasefire text line at 601-879-4395. Uh, Bob Sullender, you boys are talking like there's an NIL salary cap. D-line players you want demand X amount of dollars. You get in with the phone call to XYZ Booster, right? That's how the entire collective is funded. Just make more calls, dialing for dollars. That's from Bob. Yeah, but there's a finite amount of money, right? Yeah, what if you've already dialed that booster? Better find some more, I suppose. That's what makes it tough. But, I mean, especially in this cycle, the the defensive linemen that can actually help you, and, you know, and part of it, they just need bodies. I, I mean, look, if... If time alone for for how impressive of an athlete he is couldn't play on last year's Ole Miss defensive line, it's not exactly like they lost an impact player. However, getting a defensive lineman that you can give snaps to in the SEC is not an, an easy thing to do, and it you might have to overpay to do it. You might have to. Yeah. But but it's not just defensive line; it's linebacker too, right? They need to add one more of those. They possibly need to add another secondary piece. Well, they definitely need help at corner. They lost two guys that started at corner for them last year. Yeah, Dave's and now, but they, they've already added though. You know, they've they've already replaced those guys. Yeah, with, what Zamari Walton from uh, from Georgia Tech? They bring John Saunders in, and they've moved him from corner to safety. Mm-hmm. But still, you you lost two guys that started at yeah. corner. In um, Igmanosin and uh, oh, who was the other one? Uh, Played both sides of the ball. Played wide receiver, then DB, then DB, um, and the wide receiver, and uh, Miles Battle. Miles Battle, going to Utah. Yeah. So they better get to work. I guess is. I guess is the point. Where does Mississippi State focus in the portal? I think they need another running back if they can get one. Okay. You can always use defensive line help. Very unproven at safety. Like, you know, they, they portaled, got one from Miami, barely played at Miami, though, so you don't know what he's capable of. That's probably where they need to be. Add another running back, because you can't have, especially if you're going to actually run the football. You could always add defensive linemen and then continue to look at the back end of your defense. Because... The, the the idea that you know they're just okay everywhere they're they're good everywhere they don't need to add in the portal okay go with that uh, you, you got an SEC West schedule LSU's coming to town 
you think that you can improve on the roster that you currently have? Okay. I have a feeling Zach Arnett is not employing that strategy, though. No. No. I hear too much of that. It's, oh, well, they don't really need anything in the portal. Eh, are you sure? You think you're going to win 10 games? I got news for you. And before you call me anything, the same thing applies to Ole Miss. Ole Miss is not winning 10 games with the roster that they have right now. No shot. Not happening. Somebody says that Ole Miss has DeAndre Prince starting his third year at corner. Yeah, they do. You need more than one. I mean, you need more than two or three. I mean, nickel has kind of like turned into a base defense for most programs. I mean, how many how many teams are you facing that are going with two wide receiver sets? You got to have pieces in the back end in, in the secondary. I mean, if you're calling corner part of the back end of the defense, you got to have pieces there that are one interchangeable and two talented. And and I mean that's the thing. I mean like. Ole Miss is, it's not just building depth on defense right now for Ole Miss. they got to get some guys that can play. Now, somebody asked a second ago about Centurion Perkins. How do you think he's going to fit? I mean, I think he may be the most talented player on defense when he steps on campus. But he hasn't stepped on campus yet. He's not an early enrollee. So he's finishing out his senior year at Raleigh, and he'll be on campus in what? Late May, early June. And what if he's not ready? Yeah, and I mean, all indications are, based on what you saw, he is ready. He is the type of guy that steps in and plays as a true freshman, even at a place like Alabama. But you know what? He's not Will Anderson at Alabama the day he steps on the field. He's a guy that plays in some third-down exotics, and he plays on special teams, and he gets better as the season goes along. He looks the part. He's ready to go. He's probably going to be asked to do more at Ole Miss than he would be asked to do if he went to Alabama or Georgia. But he looks ready the way a Will Anderson looked ready on day one. He looks ready the way a N'Kobe Dean looked ready on day one when he stepped on campus at Georgia. It's what he looks like. But that's also asking a lot out of a guy that's never taken a snap in a college football game. There's always a freshman All-American linebacker out there. Will Sunterian Perkins be that? Ole Miss certainly hopes so. But that's a high bar. Okay, what we do next? Keep it moving, buddy. You can be a part of Sports Talk Mississippi. 888-808-8637 on Super Talk Mississippi. o'clock hour with you sports talk mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk tv and of course on your supertalk mississippi radio stations normally this would be the time for the college football fix we did that early a little bit today back to uh, start the four o'clock hour we'll go to the farm bureau guest line right now check out favorites.com and go with the home team at mississippi farm bureau d1 baseball's kendall rogers joins us right now Kendall, we had a weird night in college baseball last night. For a random Tuesday in mid-April, yeah. there were some upsets and maybe some uh, some eyebrow-raising results. 
Yeah, there's no doubt I'm looking no further than Tennessee. I mean, you're talking about a team that's certainly been scuffling as of late, but you look at the ball, they lose a midweek game at Tennessee Tech, and all of a sudden they're actually down to 39 in the RPI with a 5-10 and 10 league record. So Tennessee is, I mean, we're approaching the territory where a team like Tennessee is really kind of getting a must-win territory in terms of the weekend. Like, they, they've got to start winning some games in the SEC, and I think the other kind of surprising result, obviously, was Indiana State 10-1 to 1 over Vandy, uh, but I tell you what, Mitch Hanna does a really nice job at Indiana State. I mean, that's been a really solid program the last few years. You know, they have an athletic director in Sherrard Cleanskills who, you know, is on the committee, played college baseball. He really cares about college baseball. And, you know, you look at Indiana State, and they're right there like 13 or 14 in the RPI. So that one wasn't as surprising, but, boy, Tennessee is, is on the is on the, the rift a little bit. All right, so new postseason projections are out, and you had an addition to the field of 64 that raised some eyebrows here in the state of Mississippi. You got Mississippi State in the field. I'm assuming that is you projecting how the Bulldogs are going to finish, and based on what you've seen the last two weekends, is that right? Yeah, I feel better about him. And, and honestly, a lot of it was, was what Mark Estridge thought about him, too. You know, he was in Starkville last weekend. I think we all kind of feel like. You know, Mississippi State might be starting to figure out the bullpen a little bit. Aaron Nixon, I thought, threw some, some very meaningful pitches, some very meaningful innings for them over the weekend. So they're starting to figure out the back end of the bullpen. They're starting to get some big hits offensively. Obviously, Dakota Jordan is really blossoming into that guy that we all thought he would be coming this season. And I think the biggest thing is, again, like you said, we are projecting. Right now, if you look at their overall resume, you're kind of like, eh, maybe not. But, I mean, if you if you look ahead and you project they're playing a, a wounded Tennessee team and things like that, you know, you can feel a little bit better about it down the stretch. And so, I mean, right now we kind of feel like they'll, they'll be right there on the bubble and they'll, they'll find their way in. What's really ironic about Mississippi State, Richard, is the fact that they might be one of the teams that are like Ole Miss last year and, and in reverse in the sense that, you know, they were supposed to be good. They started out awful but they got it together where like Ole Miss last year started out pretty good, was awful in the middle of the season, and then, you know, obviously was very good in the postseason. So the simple fact that Ole Miss won an after championship last year, as crazy as it sounds, could actually really help a team like Mississippi State who, you know what, they may have a lot of work in their resume, but guess what? They're an SEC team. They're talented. We could see them make a run. Just look at their rivals last year. So it's just kind of ironic how that may work out for Mississippi State this year. You know, you, you look at Ole Miss right now, Kendall, three and twelve in the league. That's the worst record in the entire SEC. And it's fair, I think, at this point to say Ole Miss in the postseason, I'm not talking about Hoover, I'm talking about in a regional yeah. is a long shot. But I do think there's still a roadmap. It's just kind of a winding 100%. road and there is very, very little margin for error. Ten and five is what they got to do in the second half, though, right? I mean, don't don't they have to get the thirteen league wins if they're going to get there? Yeah, I think this year in the SEC, with how good this conference is right now, I think thirteen wins will absolutely get teams in this year. The, the, the problem is just getting there. I mean, and it starts this week, and you're gonna, what Ole Miss is going to have to do. They're going to have to do to do something on a weekend that people aren't necessarily expecting, and. The last I had heard, it sounds like Hunter Elliott might actually throw a little bit this weekend. You know, maybe maybe that is kind of the addition that kind of just you know puts a charge on this team, kind of gives them that little kick kick in the butt that they kind of needed uh, here the last few weeks. And what, what's so strange about Ole Miss in general is the Rebels have three wins in conference play, and 
if Elliott can throw it all for them, they're a team that if they were in a regional, like you can legitimately see them winning a regional because they still have a premier lineup. They just need a bell cow on the mound to kind of get them going, you know, pitching wise. Of the teams that are sitting at five and ten right now, that's Missouri, Tennessee, Mississippi State, and Auburn. You obviously have got Mississippi State in the field, Auburn kind of right there on the edge. Yeah. Tennessee is still in. Which of those five and ten teams is most likely to really get it together in the second half? I mean, uh, it's uh, again that it's weird to believe in them right now. But I mean, Tennessee's got to wake up at some point, right? I mean, this you is a team think. with Chase Dolander, Chase Burns, Drew Bean, Kirby Cannell on the back end, Andrew Lindsay on the back end. Like you got to, you got to feel like they're going to figure it out. Like Chase Burns is not going to finish an SEC season with an ERA around 12. Like, I, I just don't see that's po- how that's possible. I mean, I guess at this point you got to believe it's possible. But I just have a feeling Tennessee wakes up at some point. But I do feel like this weekend is, is kind of like their last stand. Like, they're, they're pinned up in a corner of a battle. This is like their, their final stand. And if they lose a series of Andy, I think they're in massive trouble. But, but on, the t- on the other side of things, maybe it's kind of like Mississippi State with Ole Miss last week. Maybe getting – a, a rival is kind of what this team needs right now. And so a, ask me next week what I think about that, because my answer could be vastly different, but for now I'll stick with Tennessee. And, and the five weekends remaining are Vanderbilt at home, Mississippi State at home, Georgia on the road, Kentucky at home, and then they finish out at South Carolina. Um, yeah, not easy. No, it, it certainly is not. And, I mean, it's far more difficult than it looked like it was going to be in February. So let's go to the top of the league. Vanderbilt at thirteen and two, Florida at eleven and four, South Carolina ten and four, Kentucky ten and five. That's all in the East, and then Arkansas eleven and four, LSU nine and five. You got five national seeds or five top eights right now. Who falls out of that group over the second half of conference play? Oh boy, out of those five teams, I mean, honestly, as insane as it sounds, like you really, really and truly could see five SEC top eight seeds. I, I believe that. I don't here's, disagree. Here's the problem. And so here's the issue you run into. If you're the committee, if, if there is a team within striking distance, you can find a pathway for that team. For instance, Stanford would be the one to upset the apple cart on that scenario because Stanford could win the Pac-12, the RPI could be top 10, and then, you're, and then you're looking at them going, okay, they're a West Coast team and they're top eight seed worthy. The problem you run into right now is that Stanford and Oregon are borderline the Big 12 design a single team right now that you would have as one thing. Texas certainly is not there yet. Oklahoma State's down in the mid-30s now. TCU's uh, RPI is nearing 50. So you don't have a Big 12 team. Texas Tech's RPI is in the 60s. So you don't have a Big 12 team. The American right now, we have East Carolina as the national team. But go look at, go look at the Americans' RPI. There's not one below 100. And that, what that means, that means East Carolina is pretty much going to have to run the table in that conference or their RPIs is going to go down, down, down. And so in that scenario, let's say the Big 12 continues to have no one that they can pick up all day. Let's say the American just becomes an absolute drag on East Carolina's RPI. Like where, where are your other national teams going to come from other than Virginia and Wake Forest? Like there, there's just not a lot of options right now. So I think right now, I mean, predicting the SEC to get five top eights actually isn't remotely crazy. It's reality. Uh, does that mean things can't change? Absolutely not. Why is LSU still number one? 
I still believe in their offense. Uh, I, I, I will say this. I think when you look at the teams around them in college baseball, I think Wake Forest 100% has a claim to be number one over them. I think Wake Forest right now is playing better. I think Wake Forest right now is more balanced. But, you know, LSU is one of those teams like, yeah, it's not the prettiest thing in the world, but they're still winning. I, I kind of, it was kind of funny. I was on the Matt Muscona show a couple of weeks ago in Baton Rouge and he asked the same question. Like, why, like, why do you have his rank number one? And it kind of reminds me, and my example to him was the year the LSU beat Alabama at football. I remember it was like 9-6. to six. It was like the ugliest game you could ever imagine for a big game. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was all field goals. It was horrible. And, like, I equated the LSU's baseball team to that. Like, you know what? LSU's a team that's winning all these big series. And guess what? You know what? It's ugly, but they're still doing it. And so, so for me, until they stop doing it, they deserve to be number one. Does the fact like, that they have not swept not anybody you bother you? If, if you win. Do what? Does the fact that they haven't swept anybody bother you? Uh, it doesn't bother me for rankings. It worries me for those guys come postseason time because I do think LSU is one of those teams, unlike Wake, that at the end of the year, if they lose that game at a regional, they are in trouble. Uh, they're going to have to outplug somebody. I guess the good thing is they can pretty much outplug anybody in the country if they want to. Yeah. But. There's no doubt the pitching staff's a question mark for me right now, 100%. It's really disappointing that we don't get LSU-Florida in the regular season this year. I know, right? It's, it's terrible. And that would be interesting. We don't, we don't get LSU-Vandy in the regular season this year either. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Florida, you know, Florida and South Carolina are the other two teams for me. I mean, South Carolina, to me, looks like a top two or three team. Obviously, they're number six because of Vandy and some others. But, like... They're really good. I think Florida, when you look at CAGs and you look at their overall lineup, you look at their rotation, mm-hmm. I mean, they're a team that I can see win the national championship. In other words, the top of the SEC is really, really good. Kendall, thanks as always for the time. We'll talk to you next week. You got it, brother. Be good, man. Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball on the Farm Bureau Guest Line. Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Do you ever get so excited that you just can't wait? Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your Mississippi team. I've been waiting my whole life for this. Don't touch that dial! Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad is off for the rest of the week. Sports Talk brought to you in part by Genteel Apparel. Find them online at genteelapparel.com. Genteel is the official apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. Whether you're looking for golf shirts or pullovers, shorts or pants, they've got it all Looks great, feels great, and uh, it's great value as well. You can find them online at genteelapparel.com or at men's specialty stores across the state of Mississippi. And don't forget the Collegiate Collection, your favorite team's logoed golf shirts and pullovers to help you look your best on game day. That is with Genteel Apparel. So we mentioned D1 Baseball, and this is where it starts to get fun, right, as we get to the start of the second half of conference play. Field of 64 projections. 
Number one overall LSU with Oregon State as the two seed in their regional. Number two overall, Wake Forest with three seed Mississippi State in Winston-Salem. Early projection, Wake Forest is the one, Elon, the Phoenix, as the two, Mississippi State is the three, and Ryder as the four. What's Ryder's mascot? I don't know. That one you've got, like, tucked away in the uh, in the pocket? Guess not. Um, the the Bronc. The Ryder Bronc. Well, that, that's the mascot name, but they're the Rough Riders. The Ryder Rough Riders? What? Oh, this is confusing. So, they were the Rough Riders until 55, and then they were the Bronx. Ryder Athletics mascot. A.J. the Bronc. Right. Okay. All right. Well, the Bronx. Why, don't, why aren't you just the Broncos? Broncos is easier to say than Bronx. Sounds yeah, like is. you're talking about a borough. Vanderbilt as the three with Arizona State, Troy, and Alabama State. Pretty good draw for the overall yeah. number three seed. Arkansas the four. Ooh. Ooh. Dallas Baptist the two. Texas Tech the three. Sam Houston State the four. That is it's pretty spicy field in Fayetteville. Yeah, it feels like it's difficult for the four. South Carolina the five with NC State as a two, Wofford as a three, and Davidson as the four. Virginia the overall number six with Campbell, Maryland, and Wright State. Campbell is the two seed. Doesn't that feel like a more favorable draw for UVA than Arkansas gets yeah, as the four? feels light. And I know they, uh, they actually consider, like, area geography. teams. Yeah, which, I get it, but come on. The Florida Gators as the overall number seven with two-seed Southern Miss, three-seed Virginia Tech, and four-seed Maine yeah. Black Bears. So what this tells you, now, regional projections are not the end-all, be-all, right? Just because... Mm-hmm. Southern Miss is the two at the seven overall does not necessarily mean that they're seven spots away from hosting. But this does kind of give you a good look on, on what the experts, who are obviously really good at this, think they stand. And we'll get to the Conway one later. So you're behind the team you're playing this weekend, and you do have some ground to make up if you want to become that host. It's right there in front of them, though. I mean, it's not like they need help, right? If they control, take care of their own business, right? If they win the games in front of them, I don't mean sweep every series, but you get my point. Yeah, they'll host. It is entirely up to them. I don't think they need any help. I think that's what this tells me. The final top eight seed, Cliff Godwin's East Carolina. You heard Kendall kind of talking about the American and RPI and some of the challenges that are going to be there. Duke is their two seed, Alabama as their three, and Loyola Marymount as the four. So those are your top eight seeds. And remember, they now seed at one through 16. So number nine, Stanford hosting in Palo Alto with TCU, Santa Barbara, and San Jose State. 
Kentucky as a 10, despite having the number one overall RPI, with Indiana State, that's a good Sycamores team, West Virginia and Southeast Missouri State. If you're Kentucky, you're not complaining about that regional field. Not at all. Coastal Carolina as the 11 in Conway, with North Carolina as the 2, Southern Cal as the 3, and Columbia from the Ivy League as the 4. Oregon hosting is a 12 with Oklahoma State, Cal State, Fullerton, and Army. Texas as a 13 with Texas A&M as their 2. Texas State as their 3. And Oral Roberts as the 4. Pretty good field in Austin. Storylines there. Uh, uh, Who on the selection committee will Ross Bjork call and complain to first? John Cohen? not on the committee anymore, is he? He rotated off? I think so. So his final act was... Okay. His party Um, shot to Mississippi State was... Congrats on Ole Miss winning a championship. Miami is the 14, hosting in Coral Gables once again, with UCLA, Iowa, and Florida Gulf Coast. Connecticut hosting in stores. A new ballpark there. Boston College... Northeastern Central Connecticut State. Connecticut and Boston College are good. How is UConn good? I mean, good for they them. Have a, but Jim Penders is a phenomenal coach. And their pitching coach is great, too. Jim Penders is in his 20th year as the head coach at UConn. And they've been to like 10 regionals at UConn in baseball. Crazy. Uh, and the final host is Indiana as the 16 with Louisville, Tennessee, and Kent State. Congrats on being a host, Indiana. Here is a perpetual Omaha appearance program and probably the second most talented team in America. Congrats. Mm. But, yeah. I mean, so, so in terms of the SEC and top eights, that's LSU is the one, Vandy is the two, Arkansas, uh, I'm sorry, Vandy is the three, Arkansas is the four, South Carolina as the five, and Florida as the seven, and oh, by the way, Kentucky and who else? Is there one more? Soon to be Texas. Yeah, soon to be Texas. Doesn't count, but soon to be Texas. So that's five top eights plus a sixth host yeah. for the SEC in those regional projections. Hunter in Columbus says, I love Kendall. He changes opinions like he changes underwear, but I like it. <laughs> he just evolves. Yeah. He evolves as the season evolves. Something like that. <laughs> Brian says it's simple. Ole Miss has to win SEC games. No sugarcoating it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely it is. I need a composite baseball schedule. Well, yeah, we need to we need to do that. I, I, Take the I was just, on that. Well, and I, I was thinking about the remaining schedules for the teams in the SEC. All right, so Vanderbilt, not an easy finish. You have Vandy on top of the East right now. At Tennessee this weekend, Kentucky, at Alabama, at Florida, and Arkansas. Ooh. Arkansas in Nashville, final weekend of the regular season. That's uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, it is. Florida is second in the East at 11-4. and four. 
two games behind Vanderbilt. Here's what the Gators have left. Road trip to South Carolina this weekend. Missouri. Road trip to College Station. Vanderbilt. And a road trip to Kentucky. Feels like they could go 11-4 and in the second half. Just like they did in the first half. Question is, would 22-8 and be enough to win? You would think so. LSU has not swept a series this year. We've talked about that. They're in Oxford this weekend. And remember, LSU is a game down also because they had the rain out in Game 3 against South Carolina. LSU's got a chance to win a bunch of games in the second half. At Ole Miss, Alabama, at Auburn, Mississippi State, at Georgia. LSU does not play a ranked team in the second half of its conference schedule. Hmm. It's hard to believe, considering. Yeah. Considering how many ranked teams there are in the SEC? I mean, there's some sweeps in there, aren't there? Feels like it, but the, uh, can they? Texas A&M we'll has this weekend. Yeah, Texas A&M has won what three straight series. Aggies finish with Kentucky on the road, Arkansas on the road, Florida, Alabama, and at Mississippi State. What we're gonna do right here is go back. And now back to back to the sports. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. So let's get rolling on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. Sports Talk brought to you in part by Visit Oxford, who reminds you that Double Decker is now just a week and a half away, and Sports Talk Mississippi will be there next Friday. We'll be in front of the Visit Oxford Cottage on Jackson Avenue, just off the edge of the Oxford Square from 3 to 6 a week from this Friday to kick off Double Decker. For more information, go to visitoxfordms.com. Be sure to follow them on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, all the information you need about the musical acts, the food vendors, the art vendors, the whole deal. Going to be a big, big weekend. Not this weekend, but next weekend in Oxford. This weekend, kind of a big weekend in Oxford as well. Ole Miss hosting LSU in baseball, and uh, there is a concert. Uh, I think we've heard about it, talked about it a bit. Morgan Wallen. Just a little bit. Saturday night and Sunday night at Vaughn Hemingway Stadium. So plenty happening online. You can find all about it at Visit Oxford MS. Got to talk about this Paul Skeens thing, by the way. Okay. So, it's not anything that stands out to me, but it's going viral online, so we need to talk about it. He was doing his media op this week and was asked about the environment at Swayze and stuff like that, and he said, quote, I don't think they'll be throwing a lot of beer this weekend. Fair or foul? LSU pitcher Paul Skeen saying, I don't think they'll be throwing a lot of beer this weekend. 
I don't know that there's any reason to say it, but if anybody can say it, it's Paul Skeens. He leads the country with 104 strikeouts. He was kind of average last week against Kentucky and still struck out 13. In the history of college baseball, nobody has struck out more per inning than he is averaging at 17.6. Throws a 102-mile-an-hour fastball, a 93-mile-an-hour slider. He's not really walking people. He pitches with a ton of emotion. He's fiery on the mound. I mean, if I'm Jay Johnson, would I prefer him not say something to incite, perhaps, a team that has struggled? Yeah, I probably would prefer that. But, I mean, there's like some Yogi Berra here, isn't there? The the whole, it ain't bragging if you can do it? Yeah, true. If anybody can back it up, it's him. Two, I think two things can be true at once. This is kind of how I live my life, right? I am totally fine with a little spice and entertainment value. And people are doing the, oh, bulletin board material. What? Like Ole Miss wasn't going to try really, really hard to win this series? It took Paul Skeens at 3-12 and in the SEC, knowing that they are desperate to win baseball games. If they don't, they might not even get to go to Hoover on Tuesday. And they weren't really going to try hard, and they weren't really motivated. But now that they saw Paul Skeen say that, now Kemp Alderman's going to want to hit a home run. And so the, the concept of that just is ridiculous to me. By the way, if Kemp Alderman happens to square up a Paul Skeen's fastball, you might see a five with about a thirty-four degree launch angle. Yeah. You might see a five in front of that number. And so, you know, the concept of bulletin board material, it's just so stupid to me when it comes to SEC sports. Like Ole Miss is going to be more motivated now than they were before. That doesn't make sense. However, if you dish it, you got to be able to take it. If Ole Miss does hit some bombs off of him, it's going to get thrown right back at him, and so be it. As somebody that enjoys entertainment, that's what sports are. To me, they're entertaining. I love this stuff. Talk a little junk. And it's not like this is tame, too. Oh, I don't think the students are going to throw beer in the air. It's not like he was like, Kemp Alderman sucks. I'm going to strike him out three times. You know, like when it comes to trash talk, this is as tame as it can be. It's fine. Like, I like a little spice, a little juice into a baseball series. I, I appreciate that. However, if that were my son, I'd be mad. I think both those things can be true at once. I feel like a bit of a hypocrite, but James has my genes. So the chances of him being a really good baseball player kind of slim, at least at this level. Like, he already swings really well. Like, I'm impressed with his swing. But he's got my genes. He's not playing high-level sports. He's going to have to study. But if he just so happens to become a good baseball player, I will not let him play if he starts flipping his bat and showing up opponents and stuff like that. Playing Borky yelling at clouds. And I'll own that. Playing and being successful and winning is enough. You do that, you round the bases, you high-five your teammates, and that is all you do. You don't talk about your teammate or your opponents in any way other than respectfully. You respect your opponents, you respect the game, 
You play it the right way. Winning and playing is enough. Will be my lesson in all sports for his entire life. You, you, you're not going to engage in that crap. You're not going to hit the gritty. You're not going to flip your bat. You're going to play. And if you're successful, great. That's all you are. And if you're not, you don't pout, you learn. And if somebody else does it, that's their prerogative. You don't react to it. Ceasefire text line, uh, I call his words confidence. Uh, let's see here. That's fair. I hope Cruz strikes out 10 times this weekend. Go Rips. Jacob Gonzalez might have Jacob Gonzalez might have Morgan Wallen tickets, you never know. Meaning like he won't be at the game, I guess. Oh, I don't know. Uh, Hunter thinks he's just telling the truth. Mike in Oxford says, I remember when Casey Mize came to Oxford as the next Cy Young and he didn't make it through four innings. He was Dwayne, cruising before that weekend, wasn't he? He was really good. And still is. Dwayne and Brandon says, can't wait for James to tell Borky, Dad, I own you. No, he will not. Uh, James is not going to share that $350 million contract with Daddy. I, I would tell him not to. That is, That would be something that he would earn. And if he tries to give me any of it, I'll kill him. Paul Skeen's numbers this year. He has only gone, he's gone seven innings twice. Did that against Arkansas and against Tennessee. His shortest outing this year was against South Carolina. Three innings, but that was because of a rain delay. They went into a weather delay. He did not come back after the break. Last week against Kentucky was the most average Paul Skeens had been all year. Six innings, seven hits, five runs, four earned, with one walk and 13 strikeouts. He has struck out double digits in eight of his nine starts, and he had eight strikeouts in the three-inning performance against South Carolina. Twelve against Western Michigan, 11 against Kansas State, 13 against Butler, 12 against Sanford, 11 against A&M, 12 against Arkansas, 12 against Tennessee, 8 against South Carolina, 13 against Kentucky. That's for a total of 104 strikeouts in 53 and a third innings with nine walks. <laughs> he has given up five doubles on the year. How many home runs is he allowed? He's allowed two home runs, both against South Carolina. So how about that? He recorded nine outs against South Carolina. Eight of them were strikeouts, and he gave up two run, two home runs, and a total of uh, a total of three runs. He's good. I mean, he's possibly the number one he's overall really pick. Has one loss this season that came against Arkansas. I mean, he's gettable. He's easy lead, but gettable, which is a relative term. But he lost that game because Arkansas's Hunter Holland matched him pitch for pitch. But Unless you couldn't do anything offensively against Holland in that game, he came out of the game, and Arkansas got to the bullpen in game one of that series. Yeah, that's a relative term. Gettable for him is different than other guys gettable, but it's not like he's perfect. If you get him out of the game after six innings or anything short of that, then you have accomplished something. And you just hope that you've held the LSU offense in check so that it's a a game where you're in it. And then that's LSU's weakness, right? 
who comes yeah. on after the starters? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of – and it's largely because of injuries, right? I mean, they got a bunch of guys that are banged up in the bullpen. Not to mention Gavin Dugas, his injury. By the way, Dylan Cruz, batting average drop last night. He's hitting 491 through 36 games. 491. Is that good? It's not bad. 12 doubles, 9 home runs, slugging 828. How about Tommy White? The the transfer from, from NC State is not disappointed. He leads all of Division One baseball and runs batted in. He's got 12 home runs on the year, which leads LSU, but he's got 62 runs batted in. 12 home runs and 14 doubles. Wow. They can really, really hit. But the pitching staff has been... It's it's been tough the last few weeks with injuries. We'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi. If it's sports in Mississippi, you'll hear about it here. Here. Sports Talk Mississippi. You like this show, huh? Yeah! Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Good to be with you one last time. A couple of things have not touched on this. Tiger Woods announced via Twitter that he had surgery again today. Earlier today, Tiger underwent a subtalar fusion procedure to address his post traumatic arthritis. From his previous talus fracture, it was performed by Dr. Martin O'Malley at HSS Sports Medicine Institute in New York. He has determined the surgery to be successful. Tiger is currently recovering and looks forward to beginning his rehabilitation. So people are like, oh, is he going to play in the PGA? Normal recoveries 10 to 12 weeks. PGA is in like three. Yeah, professional athletes recover faster, not one that's missing half of one of their legs. No, he's not playing in the PGA. No. I mean, it's like quick Google search. I mean, these are like reporters. Like, will he play? It's like, just type, type it in. Probably the bar. not playing in the U.S. Open either. Uh, no, probably not. Probably not playing in the Open Championship. Maybe, but probably not. It's not like it's at St. Andrews this year. Yeah. But at least, apparently, it's not like some reconstructive thing. You know, it's more bone spur. Yeah, like stuff relief in there. It stinks. It does. Although, watching him limp around Augusta did get sad. Yeah, no, it was bad. It was bad. Uh, three NBA playoff games tonight. Lakers up one zip on the Memphis Grizzlies. That game's at 6.30 on TNT. 8 o'clock tonight, Miami and Milwaukee. Giannis has been upgraded to questionable. Tyler Hero, or Harrow, however you say it, is out for the Hero. rest of the playoffs. Yeah, I just heard other people saying it different ways recently. Um, he's out, broken hand. And uh, Denver up 1-0 over Minnesota at home tonight at 9 o'clock. 
must win for the Grizzlies with that, and they John Morant's out uh, apparently. So feels bleak. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Got to win it. Can't go down 0-2. No, I agree with that. And then going to Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you. That's tough. It, of course, Giannis is Giannis is the best man. He is. What's so ridiculous about NBA coverage and media and all that is you've got somebody like Giannis that the average American would love if they got to know him. He's funny. He's engaging. He is is smart and. Just so down to earth and like just grateful for just living where he does and doing what he does. Like he's so wholesome, and also he's seven feet tall and can run, jump, and and defend and shoot. And I mean, he is a great star. And he, I mean, he's in Milwaukee. And when everybody told him to, to seek a trade, he said no because they gave me my shot and they're paying me a bunch of money and. I like living here. What else would I want in my life? Like he's so wholesome, and instead it's all oh, Kyrie Irving, oh James, like James Harden and drama and Instagram likes and Draymond Green, and, and it's like you've got this person that you could get everybody to gravitate to, but Giannis doesn't trend on Twitter, and therefore they don't cover him, and it's ridiculous. Our audience, who does not watch the NBA with regularity, would love Giannis if they got to know. Would love him. He's the best, and he's so much fun to watch. But it's all about sideshow crap. That's what the league's about. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I don't know if they're doing their best job marketing their stars, and it feels like that's been a Major League Baseball thing, not an NBA thing. That's how the NBA became what it has become. They're marketing the wrong things. And they're losing the average sports fan who doesn't care about documentaries getting shared or Instagram likes or drama. They want to pick a guy to root for and watch him do exceptional stuff. Which is to say that the NBA would probably prefer that Giannis be in New York or L.A. or Chicago I'm than sure Milwaukee. They would, but... Patrick Mahomes is in Kansas City. That's right. You know? Yeah. You're absolutely right. Josh Allen's in Buffalo. <laughs> so, which is a bit of a uh, an outpost. A little bit. It's no disrespect intended. Thanks for uh, for being with us on this Wednesday afternoon. We will continue to get you ready for an SEC baseball weekend. We'll talk some more college football. And a whole lot more tomorrow afternoon on Sports Talk Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort Studio. For Michael Borky, I'm Richard Cross. Good night.
a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to mwgemployerservices.com. A Super Talk Mississippi media production. 